This show is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desk. Check out their latest smart adjustable standing desk at Altizen.com. A-L-T-I-Z-E-N.com. Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. In the first of the two episodes arc, Eva Xiao from TechNote and I discuss Xiaomi, one of China's largest unicorns. We trace the history of the company with Lei Jun and their founding team and discuss how they started from smartphones before launching major products in other categories in China. Hi Eva. Hey Bernard. How are you doing? Pretty busy. The summer is a busy time for tech reporters, lots of conferences and events. How about you? I'm pretty busy, but I'm stationed in California for a sabbatical in Singularity University. How have you been? I've been well, and the course is pretty interesting, the Global Solutions Program. And in fact, I met one of our common friend, Joanna Wei, who is the co-founder of the Beijing Makerspace there. She's my classmate, actually, who did an interview previously, of course. Wow, small world. Yes, and she mentioned she knows you and Bo Yuan, who happens to be guest, and also Kate Cadell as well. So I am talking to Eva Xiao, reporter at technote.com, and I have a lot of great reviews about your two episodes on Tencent. So I think we planned and wanted to come back again to this. So today we are going to talk about another company that we're going to do a two-parter. But before that, what have been the interesting news and events that have recently happened in China that you are covering? So I guess the most recent event I would mention is, so earlier this week, I was at a big fintech conference in Shanghai called Lend It China. I think I mentioned this in the, the Tencent episode, but my coverage tends to be pretty broad. So one thing that I do kind of keep an eye on is fintech, but I'm definitely not an expert. So at this conference, I met a lot of P2P lending companies, which is, you know, China's industry is kind of in an interesting spot. So that was great to catch up on that. Also learned a bit more about blockchain, not just Bitcoin, but Ethereum. So that was pretty exciting. And then, of course, there's TechCrunch Shanghai earlier. So big VR theme. Finally got to try this zombie HTC Vive game. That was pretty fun. So yeah, a lot of stuff going on. So what's coming up for you then? So there's another conference Next week, China Joy. So it's a big gaming conference in Shanghai this year. That's probably the next biggest conference that's coming up for me. Yeah, it seems that the summer has been a pretty exciting one. I mean, in the rest of the world, there's Pokemon Go and SoftBank's acquisition of ARM. And China itself is a very big ecosystem. Have you seen like any big news that might be just popping around the corner during the summer? Uh, not that I know of. Speaking of Pokemon Go, I heard that you, you had a recent recording with... Mm. Um, Sakantoto? Yeah, yeah. That was a pretty good episode and we probably would dive a lot deeper actually in the business models and when is it is coming into Asia. And I think I think China has its own clone as well, right? Yeah. I think the biggest struggle of course China is having to get over the Great Firewall. And then also in some places there people have not found any Pokemon <laughs> because of the location services issue. So coming back to the major topic of the day, we are gonna talk about Xiaomi. So we're gonna break it into two parts again, right? Yep. So I wanted to start off by asking you, Xiaomi has been a very interesting company beginning in the time of 2014, but of course they started much, much earlier. I wanted to know what's the mission and vision of Xiaomi as a company, because different people have different views of this company as an e-commerce company, consumer electronics company, and also services company. 
So the mission uh, and vision of Xiaomi is a bit broader than it's the verticals that it covers. So I guess a few themes that pop up are from Lei Jun, say the symbol of Xiaomi, because there were actually eight people that came together to found it. But he's definitely the face of Xiaomi. So less is more is something that Lei Jun has said as a mission of Xiaomi. And that idea is about having, I believe he mentioned one point, fewer types of products, thus more quality something along those lines. Although I think perhaps that's more debatable now that Xiaomi is this huge ecosystem of products. But going along with less is more, there's also this idea of, I guess, bringing innovation to everyone. So I think that's pretty easy for most people who at least have heard of Xiaomi to understand because Xiaomi is famous for its, I would say, cheaper smartphones with decent specifications. So that idea is bringing if you think of innovation as a good smartphone, another theme or mission of Xiaomi is bringing innovation to everyone. And then I guess finally the last mission I would bring up is I think Lei Jun and a lot of the people he works with also want to change the way that the world views Chinese products. Instead of being like cheap and low quality, I think they want to kind of show the world that China is capable of innovative and more quality products. And actually a little tangent, but the name of Xiaomi, you know, everyone knows it means millet or a type of, I think, grain. A lot of other people have made this connection too, which is that Xiaomi connects to an idea that Mao Zedong brought up, you know, for the Communist Party about the Communist Party battling with just rice and rifle guns as opposed to the better armed nationalists. And then also, I think from that, you can see that that tie to to nationalism. And something else to go on top of that is I was just looking at Baidu, Baiku, like Baidu's version of Wikipedia. I was looking at Xiaomi's history the other day and something else was in there. So I'm saying that's on Baiku, so I don't know if this is true. But apparently, originally, founders had wanted to register Xiaomi's name under, I would translate as Red Star, like their legal name would be Red Star instead of millet uh, or Xiaomi. Obviously, that's direct reference to, you know, China as a nation. From the roots or from the beginning of Xiaomi as a company, trying to really promote like China's capability in terms of technical innovation has always been like a personal goal, at least of the founders. Mm. It's interesting. It also ties into China's five-year plan about the concept of meat in China 2025 as well. Yes. Yeah. Mm. So, I want to get to the executive leadership team behind Xiaomi because all the co-founders together with the CEO, Lei Jun, have interesting backgrounds. And I think they have a nickname called the Avengers based on a Bloomberg <laughs> article many years back. Can you talk a little bit about the founding team and the key people? Of course, we will start with Lei Jun first. Yeah, so Lei Jun and quite a few people that had joined him and the founding team were really drawn to his personality and his ambitious vision. So Lei Jun actually started Xiaomi when he was 46. So, you know, for everyone that thinks that startups is just for young 20-somethings, well, clearly that's not true, right? So he started it. It wasn't his first startup for sure. I think a lot of people know that. Before that, he had a very fast and quickly rising career at Kingsoft. So when he graduated, he was an engineer at Kingsoft, which is this big Chinese company. A lot of their products, uh, you can think of Microsoft Word type office suite software. So, you know, he was an engineer at Kingsoft for six years. And in six years, he rose from engineer to CEO. And while he was at Kingsoft, he created like a spinoff e-commerce company called Joyo.com 
which is sold to Amazon for 75 million USD. And that was, he started Joyo actually before Taobao. But so you can see already he has this track record of uh, entrepreneurship. In 2007, so three years before he started Xiaomi, he brought Kingsoft to an IPO, I believe for 99 million USD. So this is a very impressive track record, as you can see. And after that, he probably like flushed with capital from all his success. He began to, he invested in YY, which today is known for its live streaming services. And also UC Web, uh, a mobile browser. And then he was a founding partner at a investment firm called Xunwei Capital. So, I mean, at this point, he was really investing in all these Chinese companies. And then something else I should mention about Lei Jun is, and a lot of people bring this up, especially with uh, all the comparisons between him and Steve Jobs, but him being quite influenced by the book Fire in the Valley when he was in university. So, I mean, all tied together, you can say Lei Jun, obviously very ambitious guy from Kingsoft, you know, engineer to CEO, bringing it to an IPO, selling Joyo.com and then becoming an angel investor. And then finally, you know, when he's 46, starting Xiaomi. I mean, he's very different from Steve Jobs, even though he wears the same turtleneck and jeans, right? Yeah. He's, he's actually yeah. also a very successful business angel and entrepreneur and built companies that actually have very substantial revenues streams, right? Right. And Fire in the Valley was not just about Steve Jobs. It was also about the whole scene, I believe in the 70s, homebrew computer club, people creating things out of their garage. So I think the Fire in the Valley, at least my interpretation is that when Lei Jun saw that, it encouraged him to build companies uh, and have an ambitious vision. I think I'm not saying that he read that and then said like, oh, I want to be that guy, Steve Jobs. Yeah. I guess there are also other people within okay. that team as well, right? <laughs> and yeah. I, I guess the other person that it seems to be the public face of Xiaomi as well is Bin Lin, who used to head up the engineering team in Google China, specifically adapting Android to the Chinese market. Who is he? Okay, so Bin Lin, that's another co-founder of Xiaomi. He used to head up the engineering team in Google China. I think he was yeah the engineering director there from 2006 to 2010, specifically looking at mobile search and Android app localization. But before that, he actually worked at Microsoft and worked in their R&D department as well. But I think Google is important to bring up because that's how he met Lei Jun. So like a lot of founding stories, founders know each other before they you know, sit down to build a company and they had quite a close relationship. They're very good friends. So in, in 2008, Bin Lin met Lei Jun when he was trying to push for Google's partnership with UC Web, which Lei Jun was an investor of. And during that time, they began talking, I guess, similar personalities. They were very drawn to each other, became friends. And then again, something that I read through by Ko was that Bean Lin had originally proposed that they create an online music startup. Um, he was saying like, oh, you know, I want to create a startup. And I want to share this just because I think it's interesting. Lei Jun's response was, you know, let's just invest in an online music startup and let someone else do it because it's not interesting. Let's do something bigger. So anyway, Bean Lean then jumped onto Xiaomi. For me, that's an interesting mm. anecdote about their friendship. Bean Lean is currently the president of Xiaomi, right? Yes. Something else I wanted to mention about Bean Lean is that during his time at Google, he had also worked with Hugo Barra on mobile research for two years. So you can kind of see how this network is forming. As many people know, Hugo Barra is a big 
figure at Xiaomi as well. Mm. Before we go to Hugo Barra, I also wanted to point out another key member of the founders, which is Zhou Guangping, who is the person who actually built the hardware for the first generation of smartphones for Xiaomi. Who is he then? So Zhou Guangping is maybe a little bit further out from, in terms of, you know, he didn't know being Leo Leijun from his previous jobs or t- previous work. He had worked at Motorola. He was the chief of hardware for the research and development department of Motorola. And he designed or was at least involved in many of their hardware or their phone designs. So he got into Xiaomi because Bin Li and Leijun had heard heard about him because of all of his work at Motorola. And at the time, he had actually quit Motorola. But Bin Li and Leijun just reached out to him, had some conversations with him and got him on board. And so Zhou Guangping, obviously very experienced in terms of designing and building hardware. So he is also another uh, essential and very talented person that Lei Jun and Bin Li were able to attract from the very beginning. Other than the founders, they have also brought in key external people into the management team. And of course, the most notable one is Hugo Barra, formerly from Google. And of course, he also explained why he left Google to join Xiaomi. So he's currently the head for the international expansion. What's his current role and what does he do for Xiaomi? So Hugo Barra is one of the first, I guess, big non-Chinese or international employee that was hired to work at Xiaomi. And as you mentioned, he's in charge of international expansion. So he picks and plans out new countries that Xiaomi wants to expand to and the strategy behind it. He's also, because he's non-Chinese, I think he's also kind of a spokesperson. Of course, you know, he's in charge of international expansion, but especially because Lei Jun's English is not so good. There's, you know, actually a lot of jokes that came up because of his are you okay comment at an India launch. Because Hugo Barra is fluent in English, again, something else is that he, from a PR perspective, is kind of a spokesperson for Xiaomi abroad. And part of it was that Hugo Barra was actually approached through one of the early investors of Xiaomi, I know Robin Chan who is also an investor of Twitter and Square, and together with Hans Tong, who I actually interviewed, and he told me the backstory of how he and Robin Chan got Hugo Barra interested in Xiaomi. Do you want to share that? <laughs> yeah, so the, the story was, I think they approached him and they were, they want him to actually head up the international. So they flew into Silicon Valley and, and have this like one-year courtship, and eventually they got him over to join Xiaomi. So it wasn't like immediately took a lot of time as well and partially what you have said earlier about Bin Lin I think Bin Lin used to report to Hugo Barra so he actually hired his boss well I hope I can do that someday (laughs) (laughs) sorry God yeah okay (laughs) there is also the CFO who was recently also featured on the information.com which is Chu Shouzi who I happen to be very happy because he's a Singaporean so but tell me a little bit about who he is (laughs) right so Chu Shouzi he comes from, again, an international background, if we're looking at Hugo and then now uh, Chu Shouzi. So he has an, you know, got an MBA at Harvard. He did business development at Facebook at one point, attended uh, his university at University of College London, then also worked at Goldman Sachs. So as a CFO, he has very broad, very international background, which is important for Xiaomi, which obviously is working hard to expand abroad. I should also mention that he was an investor at DST Global. So that's the investment firm of Yuri Milner. And they've done big investments in like Didi, Meituan, Dianping, Twitter, and many other companies. So 
you know, he comes from a background of having invested in Xiaomi as well. Uh, DSC Global, along with some other investment firms, participated in a investment round worth 1.1 billion USD in 2014 for Xiaomi. Also having, before he jumped on board with Xiaomi, uh, Chu Shouzi also had uh, some interactions, pretty deep interactions with Xiaomi. So I guess we talk a lot about the people, but I wanted to start off with a little bit of historical chronology of how Xiaomi began. So how did Xiaomi started off as a smartphone maker and subsequently branch out into other consumer electronics then? Sure. I guess I would first start by mentioning the software side of them. So their Android OS, which is called MIUI. That was what they first developed, you know, in 2010. I think something that defined Xiaomi at this point was how closely they interacted with their users. There's an anecdote that I think is quoted widely. It's about Lei Jun and how he mentioned that when he, you know, had interacted with, I think, people from Motorola and Nokia and gave them feedback, they wouldn't really incorporate it into their next iterations or they're kind of dismissive of it. So he wanted to be very different and interact closer with users and user feedback to directly and have their feedback directly impact the product. Using that strategy, Xiaomi got a lot of fans, especially because I think with their operating system, they would do weekly updates. And imagine as a user, you put in something you want changed or you have some suggestion and in a week it's implemented or in a few weeks it's implemented. So I think that strategy was quite smart in terms of building up a user base, but also iterating frequently, iterating often to improve their OS. So that's kind of one big piece that happened early on before they moved into smartphones. And then with smartphones, as people know, Xiaomi sold, sells smartphones for just several hundred dollars So when they could sell them for more. So they really cut down the price of pretty decent quality smartphones. And that defined them and got them a lot of market share. And then with smartphones, I guess something else that I would mention, in the same way that Xiaomi is kind of innovative in the way that it interacted with customers or users, for its OS, I would say the same about its smartphone sales. Uh, for people who don't know, Xiaomi is famous for flash sales and its online presence. So that's in terms of how it sells. So it sells online. That's why sometimes it calls itself an e-commerce company. I don't entirely agree with that. But anyway, they do online sales. But also they rely on word of mouth and they have some pretty interesting marketing techniques too to save costs. But yeah, I'm bundling that with smartphones. And then I guess the third phase that I would mention is, like you said, Bernard, consumer electronics. So, and I guess electronics, I would just say gadgets in general. Xiaomi sells a lot of different stuff from smart home things to uh, smart scales, water filters, air filters, media boxes. I mean, really a diverse repertoire of gadgets. So I guess... I would kind of bundle the chronology in terms of product that way. So what are the current products from Xiaomi and which ones are really doing well? Because I've seen a lot. And in fact, most of the products are done through contract manufacturing with, I think their smartphones are done by FIH Mobile, which is actually a subsidiary of Foxconn. Yeah. yeah. So the current products from Xiaomi, there's quite an offering, like I mentioned. With smartphones, I guess the latest would be Mi 5 that was recently launched in the Mobile World Conference in Barcelona this year, I believe. So smartphones, there's both the Mi series, 
There's me notes, which is a bit higher end. And there's a Redmi. And the Redmi, you know, if you think of Xiaomi as a budget phone, Redmi is the budget version of Xiaomi phones. It's even cheaper. So they have those products I would send as smartphones. Recently, they launched a Mi drone. So it's cheaper equivalent of DJI, which is also a Chinese company that launched this year. So going down the list, let's see. So there's smartphones, there's drones, also wearables. So in addition to Apple and Fitbit, Xiaomi is one of the biggest wearables companies in the world. So that's their Mi Bands, most recently the Mi Band 2. Well, so they have their smart TV, the Mi TV. They also have media boxes. And then after that, it's a bit more fragmented. So they also have those battery packs, which are quite popular in China, at least. I don't know about in Singapore, but... It's pretty so popular, have- actually. The, the Mi Power yeah. Bank, yes. And the Mi Band okay. is also very popular in Singapore and even parts of Southeast Asia as well. Yeah, I mean, I have two Mi Power Banks. I don't know if that, I don't know if that means my battery is bad or <laughs> if I'm always on the go. But So there's the battery pack, then there's a water filter, there's air purifier, there's also the Ninebot Mi, which is a company, so Ninebot's a company that Xiaomi invested in. Uh, Ninebot acquired Segway to make it more um, significant. And then there's also some other, even and from my perspective, a bit more random, like smart rice cooker, smart light bulb. Xiaomi also sells headphones. So I guess, I, I mean, I try to describe in a way that's kind of like... It's interesting because Xiaomi tends to sell its products at almost the base value of the hardware cost basically right so when i look at like the drones the reason why it's half the price of dji phantom because that is the base price of that and the most law of drones are actually going down and if you look at me band for example they sell it at us 13 dollars which is really right. the base price of it i think this has something to do with their core strength which is in the software most notably the me ui so how do they actually hook up this software services with their hardware products. I think that's the ecosystem part that you also alluded to earlier in your conversation about the historical piece on how Xiaomi built itself into an ecosystem empire then. Right. I mean, obviously, I say, you know, earlier I just said that their products are kind of fragmented, but all these smart products obviously are tied into apps where you can control them. I mean, that's one part of the, I guess, physically the ecosystem. But in the software side, Xiaomi is also a game publisher. They have an app store. So so gaming is definitely one of their revenue streams. They also have me credits, a virtual currency, which also ties into gaming, but also in-app purchases. You can also use them to pay for different smartphone themes. Um, and then something else I would mention about their software services is their cloud storage. Maybe some people have heard of that. I think in 2014, they had some controversy over over data, so they moved servers for international clients outside of mainland China. So cloud storage is also one of their software services. However, I mean, I would say, you know, you said that software is one of their core strengths, but a lot of their revenue does come from smartphone sales, even though they are selling selling them quite cheaply. I believe in at the end of 2014, there's a report that said that 94% of their, their revenue or profit is still from smartphones. So one of the things that I've also learned about Xiaomi, at least in their expansion of international markets, for example, India, is that even though the phone is sell at the base price, what happens is that they are also starting to learn what Indian users want and they are focusing a lot on their software to services which Indian users need. 
So I, I know that this strategy came from China because when they did the MIUI Android OS, they actually learned the user behavior and built services that's actually targeted at the user itself. Yeah, I think that's an important part of it. Like I mentioned earlier, when they launched something that Lei Jun decided that really defined Xiaomi was how closely it interacted with users and how seriously they took their feedback, you know, looking at feedback to get ideas for new features and, and building them in. Obviously, that builds in a certain amount of loyalty to the product. And also, it's a great way for them to refine and localize their products. Okay, so we come to the end of the first part. So just before we get to the second part, which I think is actually a much more interesting conversation, Eva, how do my audience find you? So you can find my Twitter at Eva W. Xiao, that's X-I-A-O. You can also go on techno.com and find my articles there. My WeChat is the same as my Twitter handle, so Eva WCL. Also, if you're ever in Shanghai, you can feel free to send me a message. And you can find me at bleongcwrbernardleong.com. Subscribe to us at Analyze Asia, A-N-A-L-Y-S-E Asia. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Acast, and also Google Play in the U.S. market. And of course, drop us feedback in the iTunes store and also recommend us on Overcast. Once again, Eva, we're going to get back onto part two, so let's hang on there.